and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jira, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have Sue. Hi, everybody. And resident expert on the satanic panic, Grace. Hell yeah. <laughs> Before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We have another couple of items of housekeeping. Uh, the first one is the Fansets giveaway. Sue, do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. So we, thanks to our friends at Fansets, we have five sets of four enamel pins to give away. Each set includes two Discovery pins and two original series pins. And to enter the giveaway, just email crew at womenatwarp.com with the subject line pins and tell us what you hope to see from Star Trek in the coming year. That could be anything from a plot line on Discovery to an idea for an, seri- uh, an episode of the new animated series or Picard series or just announced Michelle Yeoh Section 31 series. Mm-hmm. Although there's no timetable on that yet. But um, every entry will be put into a randomizer. So we're not picking our favorites for the winners. We are just using that for your entry. Uh, and then five winners will be chosen. The deadline to enter for the giveaway will be February 10th, 2019. Awesome. We also have a book club episode coming up, which means you have still have a little bit of time to read our next book club selection and contribute to the discussion. The book is Letters to Star Trek, which is a book that's uh, compiled by uh, Susan Sackett, who was a secretary to Gene Roddenberry of a fan mail that the show received and responses that Gene wrote in uh, the original series and early syndication. And we will be recording that episode mid-February. So uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, look up Women at Warp on the Goodreads group tab, uh, goodreads.com and join in over there. So today we are going to be doing actually one of our most requested topics uh, since we've started this show, which is that we're going to be analyzing the Star Trek Voyager episode retrospect. And before we get into it, uh, we have to do a content warning because this is an episode um, that uh, has themes of sexual assault. And we will be talking about that and, um, you know, it, uh, it addresses, um, for instance, some of the difficulties that assault victims, uh, f- uh, experience when reporting. And, uh, so if that is a content that is upsetting or triggering for you, you can absolutely feel free to skip this episode. Also, if this episode brings up something for you and you need support, we uh, wanted to let you know that you can go, if you're in the United States, you can visit RAIN, which is R-A-I-N-N dot org, uh, or phone 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673 if you need support to talk to someone about a sexual assault. Um, they're a great organization and uh, operate nationwide in the United States. If you're outside the United States, um, unfortunately, most 
Uh, I know Canada, we don't have a national helpline like that, but really I would urge you to, you can go on Google and look up your jurisdiction and sexual assault support line or sexual assault support and um, get uh, the help and the information that that you need. So uh, we'll repeat that again at the end of the show, but um, just a bit of a heads up before we get into the discussion. Okay, so retrospect. Um, <laughs> That's a fun start. That's how you know we're going to have a an yeah. upbeat conversation here. For sure. I mean, I don't think there's a lot that we're going to, you know, hilar- laugh at uproariously in this one, but it's an important topic. And uh, it definitely is one that um, I had a lot of people also request um, when I was starting writing Trekkie Feminist Reviews. And I had not remember this episode at all and someone mentioned it to me as should be a contender for star trek's most sexist episode and i did not remember it and i watched it and i went oh wow okay definitely a contender for most poorly handled i mean that's kind of the boat that i was in this week when i went to rewatch it i kind of remembered it but not clearly and even in the first five minutes like before we have seven remember her assault I was like, already, this guy is over the line. Totally. Right? (laughs) I'm not the only one, right? No, this dude is like just cartoonishly creepy. Well, we didn't have the word then, but he's mansplaining her own ship to her. He is like right on top of her shoulder as she's working and then physically puts his hands on her to move her out of his way. Like, yeah, definitely. All of those are no no. Already no. So before we get into uh, this, should we, uh, just for anyone who doesn't remember this episode like Sorry. us and doesn't intend to rewatch <laughs> it, because it is, I find, not the most fun to watch. Um, and we had a lot of people write in saying, I just skip this one whenever I rewatch Voyager. Um, this is the one where Coven, this alien arms dealer, um, is trying to sell them weapons. And during the, uh, their interactions with him, Seven starts, um, behaving what some people consider oddly. And she punches him at one point when he touches her arm. Then later he, she, uh, flinches during a medical exam and the doctor becomes convinced she has repressed memories. And when he induces like a sort of hypnotic or relaxed state, she recalls and flashes back to Coven assaulting her and removing uh, Borg nanoprobes, stealing Borg nanoprobes to develop weapons without her consent. And uh, I think that's probably enough of a summary for now because I'm sure we will cover the rest of it. But yeah, right off the bat. I think we can summarize the rest of the episode with, oh boy. The only part of this I'd be like, I love this part was when Bolana's like, um, I wouldn't say he did nothing. He like, yeah. raised his voice and he touched her arm, and clearly Bolana was like, I would have punched him. <laughs> there is one good Janeway moment. It's literally one minute before she gets mm. terrible again. Oh yeah, but oh, in in the ready room after like Coven has been accused, I guess mm-hmm. he says, "Are you willing to risk the arms deal over this?" And she says, "Yes." Just flat out, yes, that's the one good moment she has. But yeah, I would agree. That was the other part that I was like, oh, when you mentioned that, I was like, yes, that this is obviously the one good Janeway scene. Yeah, yeah she's just like, I, I have to do this. I have to believe my crew, at least at that point. Mm-hmm. Just for these five <sighs> minutes. <laughs> so Inconsistent Janeway writing in my Voyager? <laughs> what? <sighs> 
maybe should we start out by talking about this context of the 90s and what this episode was like meant to be talking about before we get into why it's more problematic than this? Absolutely. Yes. All right, I'm going to throw it over to Grace, our satanic panic expert. (laughs) (laughs) It's your new official title. (laughs) And I'll just shout out our commenter, Michael, who uh, raised this point in quite a bit of detail on our Facebook. And uh, um, there there have been some other reviews that have sort of gone into this, but... It is uh, just an interesting look at like some of the things that were happening in the news around the time this episode was written and what the uh, the episode was sort of meant to be exploring thematically. Okay, well, um, for starters, we had in the 80s and the 90s a big upswing in awareness and conversation about this idea of repressed memories. You see it coming up a lot in pop culture. Um, it started getting talked about on a national media scale a lot, uh, especially in the satanic panic, which um, for those of you who aren't familiar with, that was the really weird upswing and suddenly the police being really worried that kids were getting into Satanism and that D&D was going to make kids murder each other and that Metallica was, you know, telling kids to sacrifice babies. It's a very odd but very specific cultural phenomenon that I'm a little bit obsessed with just for its um, for its out-of-touchness, for one thing, with what was actually going on and just for the pervasiveness. And um, one of the big pieces of conversation that um, came up from this and is also one of my favorite absolute cases of, really, you expect us to believe this is an actual autobiography, um, is a book that was written called Michelle Remembers by Canadian psychiatrist Lawrence Pazder and his uh, and apparent victim Michelle Smith, who leads through this apparent autobiography, which, according to her, her therapist helped her unlock the memories of pretty much her being sold off to a clan of Satanists by her mother, who rape, abuse, and uh, throw her into pits full of dismembered babies and just some of the most ridiculous, over the top, batshit. Like, no, I'm not. Bl- I, I believe that there are many forms of abuse, but this is a little bit much kind of stories. I think at one point near the end, she uh, claims to have had horns implanted on her and was given a tail and then claims she was she was murdered by the Satanists and then an angel brought her back. Hmm. And now she is remembering all of this with the help of her wonderful, wonderful therapist, who she is completely coincidentally going to marry and has a book deal with now. So basically we, and and the sad thing is this story wasn't even just a kind of weird paperbacks from hell flotsam. This book was actually genuinely used and cited in a lot of the ritualistic uh, and Satanism based police investigations. And people thought this book was something to be taken seriously in terms of researching a very real threat that just was not real at all. Uh And um, it was... Um, it, it was the basis for many a lawsuit uh, from her family, as I understand. They, um, they, uh, multiple parties sued for libel over it. None of the allegations could be backed up, even in the most remote sense. But, but one of the aspects of this book is we really um, were at that point being like, oh, 
But what if you can be so traumatized that you can completely hide something in the back of your mind? And there is a psychological school of thought behind that. There are actually a lot of UFOologists um, and UFO abductee victims who um, the common idea is that something so traumatic happened to them that they planted this idea of this outlandish thing happening to them to sort of emotionally whitewash a very real trauma they felt in order to cope with it. And one of the big problems we had with psychology at this time and still kind of do have is that we had these two main schools of thought, one saying, yes, the mind is this incredibly powerful tool that can hide things away as need be to cope. And then there was a half of psychology saying, no, this is bullshit. And this is, this is, hack psychiatrists trying to and psychologists trying to make a quick buck off of um off of people who are saying they're victims who are honestly making it harder to believe real victims this was explored at least twice on law and order um the first one was actually this wasn't a sexual assault case but it was a child abuse case where a daughter uh, remembers her father murdering her school uh, school friend. Um, and actually, I mean, it was actually an assault because um, I think her father had been molesting the boy. And uh, in that case, actually, the psychologist helps her and like her memories are used to convict the father. But then this was revisited again on SVU, where of course, the person was just imagining things. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this would not be the first time for you. Why do you play us like this? <laughs> yeah. And so like, in, it just like plays into these sort of misplaced male fears that like, any one day, like one of these crazy women, they're gonna like come out and accuse me of something. And then my life's gonna be ruined. These broads, they just emerge from caves and swarms like bats, ruining the lives of poor, hardworking men. This is fun shit, because uh, we had a doctor named Dr. Susan Clancy who was trying to investigate into the middle ground and then ended up becoming kind of the uh, l'enfant terrible of the psychology world by suggesting, well, what if it's possible that there are certain types of people who are just more easily suggested into um, inferring trauma from their past just based on the questions you ask them? And that at start is already kind of, whoa, hey, that's. Not great, but then she ended up also putting out a book about, uh, I think it's titled The Trauma Myth, about how theory that she posits is that we don't feel trauma as deeply when it happens to us as a child. It's only when we're older as adults that we totally get the gist of what's happening to us. That's when we are traumatized. And there, there's probably something to be said there about not understanding what is happening to you at times of trauma, but at the same time, she's basically become painted in the psychological community as this woman who said, well, there are some people who are just not trustworthy, and there are some people who just concoct ideas in their memory. And also, a lot of people have, because of that book she put out, uh, kind of come to see her as the person who said, well, trauma's not that bad mm-hmm. if you're a kid. Um, so basically, it is a very sticky situation of ooh, hard science meeting fuzzy conceptual science and no one being totally sure where the hard line is between the two. So there's a lot to go with there. And again, you um, looking into just about any form of media in the 90s, I um, 
I'm personally a big Unsolved Mysteries fan, but you can really see the point where they're suddenly deciding, no, Satanist, Satanism is our mm. is our hot lead here. This is what's getting people mm. interested. And it, it's real, we tells you, and kind of fire and brimstone scaring the audience at home, who, as far as they're concerned, because they're being told you know, by the police visiting their kids' schools and by these people on TV, yeah, they're totally Satanists out there, and they're going to give your kids drugs and make them and make them LARP, and it'll be horrible. <laughs> um, yeah. So as far as a lot of people uh, were concerned, this was real, even though they never actually saw any actual evidence of it. it was, this in and of itself was the case of inference making the panic, which is pretty ironic and also really sad when you think about <laughs> it. If I remember correctly, the, the D&D link happened actually in the 70s where there was a disappearance at a college campus that the police had a hunch was linked to D&D, which led to... All they could really find out about his social life was that he was in a Dungeons and Dragons group. Right. And then years later, after the Tom Hanks TV movie about how Dungeons and Dragons will drive you out of your gourd came out, that guy was like, oh, this was about me? No, I just switched schools. <laughs> but like, because the police had a hunch that it was linked to D&D, there was this massive movement to ban a game from college yeah. campuses. Yet we have all of these issues with violence and sexual violence on college campuses. Where's where's the giant uh, movement from parents? Look, if it's something that scares the middle-aged white guy cops, then it's a threat! <laughs> My parents were terrified of D&D when I was a kid. Terrified. I think that there's sort of like two threads that are going on simultaneously and colliding in this in pop culture and the media mm -hmm. this time. Yeah. One is this like hysteria around like satanistic rituals. Um yeah, this idea that like children are repressing trauma that you can um get them to first of all that like you can unequivocally believe what they say, uh, but then also that, like, there are shady psychologists and psychiatrists who are, like, using hyp hypnosis to manipulate victims into remembering trauma that never actually happened. Or planting traumatic ideas in their head, and this is something that you hear come up a lot, actually, quite horribly, um, with the Mia Farrow, Woody Allen situation with their, mm. their daughter, saying him saying that, that uh, psychiatrists and Mia Farrow planted these traumatic ideas in her head and her saying, no, this happened to me. I just didn't want to talk about it for a yeah. long time until adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there was the McMartin preschool trial, yeah. which also like sort of combined both those elements where you like have the kids accusing the preschool owners of this stuff and going on for like years and years with adults buying into what is being said and like goading kids and um, like planting ideas in their um, heads that they would repeat for authorities. Even going back to the Middle Ages, you have the story of the Easter witches and a group of kids just saying, yeah, we saw uh, what they told us about in Sunday school being acted out by these weird ladies who lived in the woods mm -hmm. and every kid saying the exact same thing and then being like, it's got to be true. And so I guess we've got to kill these ladies, even though it was just some kids being like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm five years old. <laughs> I, I can honestly say as a five-year-old, I am an authority on these matters and I do not make things up at all. It gets fuzzy because there is very much a reality in which um, for a lot of cases of assault, um, domestic or other 
and domestic, sexual, at all levels, um, sometimes the only remaining part or evidence of it is memory. Yeah. And memory is in and of itself really, really complicated. Well, and that's to bring it back to this episode, right? It's part of what they're doing to Seven here is infantilizing her, right? Because she hasn't been a human for very long. You know, she's still like learning how to not be a Borg. And the doctor says, your your neural pathways are still a mystery to me. And she doesn't have her social graces. The whole episode just does her as a character and as such a disservice in that sense. And this yeah. whole idea of the guy here who kind of knows you is going to tell you what actually happened to you. Right. And that is what happened unquestionably because he says so. But not only can she not be trusted because she's a woman, she can't be trusted because they've put this like juvenile immature thing on her yes and which has got so many issues (laughs) with it um both in the fact that we we've as we've said already um there is a lot of this idea that even though sometimes as a child you're not a reliable witness or not a reliable source there are a lot of people um and children who aren't believed because they are children Mm -hmm. or will try to report what is happening to them in any situation and will be told that they are not a trustworthy source because they are a child. Yeah, but, you know, one of the good things that came out of all of this is a better way to speak to victims, right? Because that was one of the big issues with yeah. the preschool trial is is yes. that they were, even if the, the psychologist or psychiatrist had the best of intentions, they were leading the children, mm-hmm. maybe unintentionally. Yes. Um, and now there are ways to attempt anyway to avoid that. If, if I can take a second here, because I was talking about satanic abuse and how it was completely and totally overblown in this situation. But what should really steal your nanites about this one is that uh, there are <laughs> people who do have to suffer at the hands of religious abuse. And if you are in a situation where you would like someone to talk to about that with, there is the National Domestic Violence Hotline mm-hmm. at 1-800-799-7233 because... Religious violence is very much a thing that does happen, and just because we're saying that the satanic panic was overblown does not mean that if you are suffering from that in any way, shape, or form, you should not seek help. Yeah, for sure. Before we get into more of the sexual assault um, aspect of this, we definitely had a a few commenters who talked, um, if uh, in addition to the context about, you know, seeing this as sort of what it was largely intended to be largely i will say um because um you know always when we're analyzing these context is important but it's not the only thing um but we did see uh the comment a couple times you know that i uh, saw this more as a, a, a an episode about repressed memory and bad psychology or bad psychiatry um than uh an episode about sexual assault. Um, that was definitely the most prominent theme. And certainly, um, Brian Fuller and Lisa Klink, who co-wrote the uh, teleplay for this. So they weren't the ones who came up with the idea. So a little bit of, I'll cut them a tiny bit of slack. Um, <laughs> but. Brian Fuller said that uh, the doctor is dragging Seven into her frustration and essentially filling the role of the psychologist who's manipulating the patient, not with malevolence, but because he sincerely thinks that something happened. But he goes about solving the mystery in such a haphazard way that only chaos can ensue and says that um, they had this theme of false memories. 
for this episode and uh, how this was, you know, something that they were hearing a lot about, how well-respected and credited doctors have been completely dethroned, how teachers and parents have been humiliated. So clearly referring to these things. And that was the, like, the strongest, I guess, like, theme in this episode, which doesn't necessarily make it, like, unproblematic. No. And one thing I thought was like really clear upon rewatching it is the doctor, if, if the doctor is supposed to be her psychologist, he's put in a really clear conflict of interest right off the oh, bat. Yeah. Like he's basically told, okay, treat your patient. So he's treating the patient. He basically gets Janeway's sign off to explore hypnosis with seven and she's like i didn't know you were a psychologist he's like yeah i totally installed a program and she's like great um (laughs) oh boy someone who's kind of familiar with a really really questionable subject yeah i i mean i mean hypnosis obviously not psychology (laughs) and then like right off the bat um the first thing he's tasked to do when he reports this is investigate for evidence So he's, like, put in the task of supposed to be an investigator, like, a medical investigator, but also her psychologist. And this, like, conflict persists through the entire episode to the point that he basically, uh, I mean, I would argue, betrays her at the Mm -hmm. end, or at least, like, that she would see that as a betrayal um, is, I think, pretty clear. Because it's not the job of a psychologist to tell their patient that has just remembered a trauma Mm, are you really sure that happened Mm -hmm. and as even as i was saying earlier about about michelle remembers sometimes when you're hearing about something very intense you you kind of want to disbelieve immediately to be fair well the doctors believe seven right from the start yeah and Mm -hmm. and he's right there and he's telling her she has every right to feel the way she feels and that it's understandable that she's upset and that she's angry because she was violated. And, you know, 43 minutes later, he's saying, well, we all make mistakes. And it's not like she's remembering this stuff with his help other than he helped her relax. But as soon as he helps her relax, she starts having these flashbacks. And I think a lot of people raise this as one of the hardest things is that we as the audience live through the flashbacks with her. And then we're told it's not real. Well, It's not even just help her relax, right? He says she has something blocking part of her brain that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. Right? So something... She's come down with a MacGuffin. Something physical Mm -hmm. has changed. And he removes that block, and that's what she remembers. So between exams in his office, someone or something has blocked part of her memory. Yeah, it's not like he's like... Um, what happened? Was it Coven? Did he assault you? Right. Like, it's uh, it's hard to believe that she would just pull that out of, especially because it's a pretty recent memory, just pull that out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they sort of say later, oh, well, you were maybe just confused because you do have a lot of other trauma and maybe this trauma is all just like blurring together in your head. And that's almost kind of worse. Like, worse, they're just... Oh, who can really You've say had a with rough you? Couple of years. Just, just go sit down, wrap yourself in a blanket, and let the grown-ups handle this. You know what? It, it reminded me very much of watching the uh, Kavanaugh hearings. Oh, good lord! Um, 
Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's all for, for anyone who watched it, especially anyone in the US, it might be very fresh in your memory. But there, there was even an entire section of the hearings where the, the panel was asking Dr. Ford, like, how are you sure you remember this? And mm, she's yeah. a scientist. And she said, because I understand how memory works. And victims are much more likely to remember details of an assault or a trauma than to forget them, which who knows what we knew in the 90s, for sure, because we're a good you know, 30 years on, right? 20 years on? Something? Good lord, it's been that long already. <laughs> I can do math from when this episode <laughs> aired. But it's it's just, I kept having, I, I kept seeing parallels to this thing we just watched on national TV not that long ago, including like how angry and belligerent Coven got, how every time, you know, any quote evidence was was presented it just made them angrier. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it brought back all of those feelings of discomfort and nausea and all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, he, you know, he's basically like, in my society, even being accused is like going to destroy my career. And you're like, oh, uh, that's that's uncomfortably familiar. Yeah. I mean, I do like at that point that Tuvok and Jamie are like, okay, but we can't help that. Like, that's your your society's problem. But can we address that that is BS in our society, too? Yes. Yes, we <laughs> 100% can. Like, how people who who are victims can't return to their homes because of the death threats they've received. But, you know, somebody will be back on their comedy tour mm-hmm. in the next couple weeks. Like, I just... Yeah. Bright future. Making making the statement coming forward is much more likely to harm the accuser than the one who yeah. was accused. Yeah. Uh, that that was one of the most outlandish things about all those women coming forward about Bill Cosby, just people being like, Well, these women are just coming forward about this for their benefit and it's like, What benefit? Uh, what benefit could they possibly have other than catharsis here it's not like they're gonna be getting some sweet cash because for their trauma for you know people out there who um maybe didn't see the sexual assault under theme sub theme in this episode a couple obvious evidence for that like why you're you know we're sure this is what they're talking about as um, or that they're combining this. First of all, uh, in the uh, Star Trek Voyager magazine, uh, Brian Fuller said, like, we were trying to distinguish it from a TV movie about date rape, and so we removed the sexual elements. So, first of all, they did consider it could get conflated, but then she calls it a violation. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's the the strongest thing, as well as the way that she reacts to the medical exam, where she's, like, flinching and she's also like the the punch because she feels threatened when he touches her arm like it's clearly uh meant to evoke that and it's also like this fascination with just the whole that repressed memories could be used to or false repressed memories for just false memories or false recollection could be used to like incriminate an innocent man Darren's review at the movie blog, which I think is really good and thorough and goes into a lot of the other like other um, shows like X-Files and other movies that covered um, similar 
themes in the 90s. Um, but he also says when the audience hears about women false acu- uh, women's false accusations against men, it evokes the longstanding myth that men are frequent victims of falsified reports about sexual assaults that ruin lives. This was creepy and uncomfortable subtext, uh, which was obvious at the time of broadcast, but has only become more pronounced in the years since. Retrospect would have been a very clumsy and ill-judged allegory in the context of the mid to late 90s. Decades removed from that original context, it seems almost reprehensible. It's definitely not a fun episode to watch. Hey. Um, but I also like this, um, if I could switch gears a little bit, this yeah. other quote we have here from Darren's review that you have listed here about yeah. um, another sort of pop culture trend we saw through the 90s. Is all right if we get into that for a minute? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, from the blog, an anxiety bled through the cinema of the late 90s in films like The Matrix, The Truman Show, Dark City, Existence, The 13th Floor, and Pleasantville. What if the world was not real? Uh, at least not in the way that people understood it to be real. What if all of the assumptions that people made about how their world works were incorrect? What if people could not trust their senses or their memories? So that was just that I hadn't really thought about that in relation to this um, until I saw that quote. But yeah, we that did pop up a lot in the 90s. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I think there's something to be said for how that uh, trope applies differently to male characters and female characters. Um, uh, in terms of the guy having, you know, some having something tangible that he has to fight back against and the girl being, you know, gaslit. It's definitely something there. But the way that Seven's experience is presented to us, there's nothing in it to make the audience doubt it. Yeah. Like, it's it's being presented to us as fact. Yeah. But they can't corroborate it, and that is treated as enough of... Um, just like the lack of physical corroborating evidence is enough to say, well, we should go apologize to this guy and, um, at the end say, well, this was all a mistake and make everyone feel horrible about it. Hmm. Yeah. It's just, um, the, it came up a lot in our listener comments, this connection, like that Sue raised to Kavanaugh, but connections to me too. And Elizabeth said that I've been watching Voyager with my teenage daughters. And it's the first time going my first time going through the show. This episode left me horrified. And I immediately had to have a talk with them about how they should never be afraid to talk to me about assault because I will always believe them. I'm sure this episode was uncomfortable when it first aired. But to watch it now in the Me Too era was downright shocking. This is kind of like the polar opposite of them making Big Bird's imaginary friend real because the idea of him having a character that only he could see that no one believed him about, they were worried too much that that was going to make kids think, oh, if you tell a grown-up about something important, like if a person is hurting mm-hmm. you, you won't be believed. So that, yeah. that step forward there is kind of taken back with this. Yeah, Michelle Erica Green, who has also another excellent and devastating review of this episode at Trek Today, and we'll link to all these in the show notes, um, says Seven ends up like a kid who gets molested by a neighbor and is told by her mother that it never happened. Her abuser's life is given more value than her own. Once again, in her great charge to compassion, Janeway trampled all over a crew member who genuinely needed her guidance. She says, basically, if we can take one good thing from this episode, it's that it helps people understand what it would feel like to be in Seven's shoes and to be traumatized and then be not believed because we are taken through all of those flashbacks and, you know, led to feel like that is like justice is pursuing uh, this accusation 
And then we're told, no, actually, we don't really believe you and probably didn't happen. I'm so mad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, oh, I don't know if I should talk about this. (laughs) There is a a real life current fandom example of this happening right now. And it's um, happening in the Star Wars fandom. Forgive me. But Mm. a lot of the the costuming groups are going and amending their charters to make sexual harassment of any kind. And of course, anything more serious, um, any kind of assault, a a bannable offense. And um, in most of the groups, there's always a few people so far always men, who come back and say, so what's the punishment if somebody falsely accuses someone? (sighs) And, like, number one, when you ask that question, it makes me say... It's very transparent, for one thing. It makes me say, what did you do? Right? It it Mm -hmm. just, it Mm -hmm. makes me look suspiciously on the person asking it. But number two, false accusations, as we talked about before, aren't a thing. Right? They're just the 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 yeah. the number. Women don't make false accusations because, as we discussed before, coming forward is can be much more harmful for the woman than for the man she accuses. And I realize I'm speaking very heteronormatively, and that men are assaulted, and that same-sex assaults happen. But you know, in the the overwhelming number of cases, that that is the distribution, I guess. Am I making any sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, okay, so obviously, you know, when we hear this stuff about false allegations, we all go, ugh, because we know people who have either, like, come forward with real allegations and deeply, deeply regretted it because they were treated mm-hmm. so horribly. We we all know people who have not come forward. Um, and we also know the research. And um, I'll share some links in our show notes but uh um one like one commonly held figure that you'll hear repeated that's a bit of a myth is that like 5% of rape allegations are found to be false but there was an interesting article with uh criminologist Sandra Belknap who says that is a really incomplete picture because that that figure comes from studies that are done on college students an estimated 95% of whom do not report assaults to police so they're saying basically that of the 5% that were filed are found to be false. But then also what can make something considered to be false includes if a woman takes back her statement, um, which doesn't necessarily mean she lied, but maybe she decides that the consequences are too great um, and decides not to pursue a criminal charge. There's also... Uh, like she said, also, um, if basically if just police deem the person not to be credible for whatever reason. And uh, Belknap recounted one incident where a report was deemed false because a woman had allowed her eventual rapist to remove her ski boots for her after skiing. So things like, oh, well, you went out with him and you didn't call anyone after right afterwards and say anything or you know, you were wearing super tight jeans, so how could he have get gotten them off you, former Italian president, <laughs> um, who, you know, famously said that basically you couldn't be raped if you were wearing tight jeans. Well, um, so there's, like, you just get a police officer who doesn't believe the person for whatever reason, could be total personal bias, and then that, like, gets into that statistic, potentially. So it means that 
we're looking like, even if we consider all of those five, we're looking at like more like closer to 0.5%. And there are lots of reasons that somebody would not report their sexual assault. Plenty. Yep. There are many, many reasons. And I think some, one of the biggest is, is opinion for me. I don't have research to back this up, but uh, women are so socialized to believe that any kind of attention, wanted or unwanted, is their own fault or doing. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So whether we're told it or not, but many women are told it when they go to report an assault, when it happens, if it happens, we feel like it's our fault. And there's this overwhelming sense of shame. So you feel like if you are going to go and report this, that you'll be blamed, that people will be upset with you, that you might not have support of family and friends because you did this to yourself. And it's ugh, not easier, but I guess safer yeah. to just try and bury it and to ignore it and to not report it. Or to, like, pursue it with a counselor but not pursue criminal charges. Like, there are many people who will get help um, as an individual but will not mm -hmm. report it because of the uh, process that you're forced to go through that is so uh, shaming and just really can destroy your whole life. Um, and, you know, even though, um, you know, we're largely talking about sexual assaults of um, women by men – um, in this case, obviously, um, if you're looking, for example, at same-sex relationships, there are some additional factors for not reporting, one of which is like the stigma about same-sex relationships or other sort of unconventional relationships uh, that um, can make you worry that you're not going to be believed or also that you're going to be seen as uh, betraying your mm -hmm. community by reporting. And same with other minority communities. You can end up feeling like I can't report this person in my community um, to the police that are seen as outsiders because I'll be seen as betraying my community. Community. There is a um, trans woman and drag queen. <laughs> uh, the the her drag name is Jiggly Caliente. Uh, uh, her <laughs> and her her real name is Bianca Castro. Uh, but she told a story recently in a um, a roundtable that was put up on YouTube about how you know for for a time she was a prostitute and. One night working, she was assaulted mm -hmm. and went to the police and asked for a rape kit. And they told her, well, this is the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you did this to yourself. You weren't raped. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that that can happen to anyone. Yeah. Especially with Jiggly, I'm just imagining her sweet little face and being like, how could Aww. you say that to her? Yeah. And with um, and obviously with uh, men who are assaulted too, you get the idea that it's impossible to assault men, which is obviously untrue. Obviously, mm -hmm. complete bullshit. Um, or well, you must have wanted it, and I mean, you get that with women too. But with men, it's like this idea that that like boys will be boys, and again, this like idea that it's impossible to assault men, and it must be funny. Like it's right. Uh, so there's it's yeah. difficulty for everyone reporting and uh, it is not something that we can just like look lightly on. Like there's one ideal way for a victim to behave. And if they go along with the system, everything will be OK, because that's just not how it works right now. And yet we have people constantly saying, well, if you'd gone about doing it the right way. 
Mm-hmm. Clearly, this case with Seven is, I mean, like Brian Fuller said, like sim- more similar to date rape, which is another, you know, many reasons around uh, like – Uh, date rapes involving alcohol, involving the fact that you were out on a date with them in the first place that people don't report because uh, they feel shame or they feel like they won't be believed. I'm reminded, well, as we're having this conversation, of a tweet, and I don't have it in front of me, and so I'm going to paraphrase it, and I don't know who sent it, but it essentially said that the, the prevalence of assault and sexual assault is so high among women that you definitely know a woman who has been assaulted. And if you don't think any of your woman friends have been assaulted, then they just don't trust you enough to tell you about it. Yeah. And if you make a rape joke in front of them, they are probably never going to trust you enough to tell you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Jackie on her Facebook said, like, false memories or women making up assault is so rare that really the focus should be on the assault and trusting Seven. The most cringeworthy moment is near the end when Seven goes to see the doctor and he treats her so disrespectfully, basically blaming her for his death. And that's true because um, until that point, uh, one of our commenters, I think it was Brandon, raised that um, he thought it was interesting because you couldn't um, necessarily tell whether he did it or not. and despite what we've been saying about like the difficulty of reporting and why it's important to believe people who come forward, you could theoretically still have that uncertainty until the very end where everyone seems to have decided there was no point in investigating further because we know it was a mistake by this point. Well, once his ship blows up, yeah, and I still really don't know why that happened, but hmm. once his ship blows up- I don't up, know why that- so much of this episode happened. <laughs> But that look that Janeway gives to Seven, like blaming her for someone's death because she decided that Seven was misremembering, it just, it's infuriating. It's infuriating. Yeah. And then like the doctor tells her that all, that her discomfort is remorse over Coven's death. And she talks about how she doesn't like that feeling and it's even worse than the anger. So the idea is like, well, you should just forgive people because it'll be, it's better. Because it's easier on them. I wrote it down because I was so disgusted. The doctor says it's called remorse. It comes into play when you make a mistake and you feel guilty about what you've done. I just, oh, man. Yeah. And then I think that it's actually made worse by the very end of the episode the doctor's remorse is still the most important thing and how the doctor feels yeah, about this. And so making he, it about you, doctor. Yeah, he, he goes to Janeway and he's like, this is my fault. I thought I could be a psychologist, but really it's like, and it was like hubris because I wanted to be more more than I my programming. Well, no, don't, don't make this about him. And then Janeway's like, that's totally okay, doctor. That's okay. We all learn from these things. But she tells him we all make mistakes, but his mistake's okay, but Seven's yeah. isn't, even though it wasn't a mistake. <sighs> oh my god, no one goes to Seven and is like, okay, regardless, like, what you're feeling is real. Right. And then where is she going to get help processing that? Like, because <sighs> the doctor clearly is a terrible counselor. <laughs> Where's Troy when you need her? Maybe they have a Troy hologram, like a... a Emergency medical counselor. <laughs> there there are so many. I know we've been talking about really heavy stuff, but there are so many little things that we've we've glossed over in this episode that I, I jotted down. Like how right after Seven originally punches Coven in the face, um, 
the other women in the room are telling her that she needs to be able to control her reactions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. How uh, the doctor tells her, when you get irritated, just try to be tolerant. The doctor tells yeah. her that. Uh, he's like, I just make a quip. Yeah. But also, like, in order to try and get proof that she was violated, they decide that they're going to harm her again to see what happens. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That is, yeah. Basically, they're like, well, what we need to do is subject her arm to the same trauma that happened before. And, like, it's okay because it won't hurt. We're not really going to fire a gun at her. But it's like, basically, let's experiment on her. and. She isn't the one who suggests that. She isn't like, I will do whatever you want to prove this is correct. Please do whatever you'd like. Like, it's like, it's like forcing a rape kit on someone. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It is not cool. And it's interesting that given they have another tool to explore memory, uh, which is called the resident Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We've already kind of got some issues with him. Yeah, I mean, we obviously don't don't want to do that without consent, but like, it also it's like okay, so if we can't really trust what she thinks because her brain is mysterious, what about that lie detector back from Wolf in the Fold? What uh, happened yeah. to that thing? Yeah. Oh, oh man, yeah, it's um bad on many levels, and you're just I don't know, yeah. It's frustrating. It shouldn't... I don't know if there's any way that they could have made an episode about... Like, okay, so I'm thinking, I was like, what could have made this episode bearable? First of all, it couldn't have been seven. Because I think even if they remove the sexual sexual elements of the sexual assault, like, it is still clear if you have Seven, who is in, like, the most, like, form-fitting catsuit with Coven, who's, like, a skeezy dude, that that's what you're going to be reading into it. But, like, just say you have, because, you know, we know that at least, like, that Star Trek universe at that time is very heteronormative. So, just say you have, like, I don't know, Paris, and Paris has fancy jeans that this guy's going to steal <laughs> to cure some weird, or, like, weaponize Paris's car whispering jeans Mm -hmm. and so then that wouldn't work because (laughs) because you needed the person who was the most insecure and traumatized to undergo this good lord yeah and then i'm like okay and all the and then it's like makes me flash back to faces where you have Mm. balana in a really similar situation in terms of like being violated and having in that case her actual genes experimented on um, and just like, geez, writers, get some new ideas for women. I mean, Faces is, is an excellent episode, but like, it just is too many times that we get women like kidnapped or fake kidnapped and restrained and violated. I mean, the majority of episodes, especially Next Gen, that are about the women characters are about them being violated in some way. Yes, and someone uh, commented on our Facebook that it was like, it felt like the writers just traded Troy rape episodes for seven rape episodes. Uh, I'm uncomfortable with how accurate that feels right now. Yeah, because this is also like fairly early in Seven's arc. It's like midway through season four. So you've already had like quite a bit of exploration of trauma. And I think Seven is an amazing character. And she gets a lot of depth later. I think she's tremendously acted. But it's a lot of trauma to give her right off the bat. And 
uh, not, and then to like question her and, and then like, you should grow through being gaslit. Mm -hmm. And you should be nicer to other people, really. (sighs) One of my favorite things about Seven was that she wasn't nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like remove your hand or I will remove or remove your arm in that other episode because <laughs> that's when she's allowed to be sort of mean to people who are being gross jerks. Good. Um, but yeah, so I know that this is probably, uh, you know, not been the most uplifting episode, but I mean, I would hope that I think like we're even especially harder on it because it was in the 90s and because it, you know, is still being watched today and in this context is even less acceptable. Yeah. And because it is uh, such a personal issue for so many of us, as well as like a key social and political issue that we're living in. Yeah. And that's part of what we do is we tackle these topics. And so thank you for everyone who uh, requested this uh, suggestion. I know there were many people, many names. Um, Zoe was one of the most recent uh, who requested us to talk about retrospect. And uh, it is tough, but hopefully we, you know, did it justice and maybe made, uh, you know, gave some food for thought for people who uh, weren't really sure why it was upsetting to some people. Hopefully this gave someone some new perspective. Yeah. And, you know, I would actually be like really curious if Brian Fuller was at a convention to just, you know, I think that, uh, you know, and Elisa Klink as well, like they're, they were staff writers who also did some really good things on Voyager, but I'd be curious to be like, hey, looking back on that, what are your thoughts? I was wondering the same thing of what, what they would say today about yeah. that episode. It would be interesting. Um, all right. Well, we're getting close to our time. So are there any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh... Yeah. (laughs) When you see something in an episode like this and you're upset about it, we're probably upset about it too. So we got your back and uh, we will try to make sure it doesn't happen again on Star Trek, please. Now go cuddle some puppies or something. So, um, again, if this episode raised experiences for you and you need help um, or support, and you're in the United States, you can call Rain at 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673. Or go to rainn.org. And there's a ton of really great resources on there, no matter where you're located. Um, if you're out of uh, outside the United States, uh, please find uh, support in your community. Uh, there are good resources out there. If, if you need support, please uh, seek it out. Please know that there are people out there to help you. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you are not alone. And um, Grace, do you want to also share the line again for the domestic violence hotline? Yeah, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-799-7233. They are also available in Espanol. All right. Great. Again, these are U.S. numbers. But, you know, if you are elsewhere in the world, please, you know, Google is there for a reason and, and reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Grace, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank. And Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Speltor, S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And I'm Jara, and you can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin, or you can also find me at my website, www.trekkiefeminist.com. 
And if you would like to contact the show, if you have any more thoughts on this episode you want to share or requests for future topics or just any general feedback, um, you can write to us at crewatwomenatwarp.com. You can also reach us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp and on our website, womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. And thanks so much for listening. And take care of yourself. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.